Thank you so much for being here for the One Voice podcast. I'm Mary O'Brien with Nicole Braddock-Bromley. You've probably heard over the weekend, Tony Robbins, a celebrity life coach, was caught on video at a huge event in California, challenging the motives of the Me Too movement, and that video went viral. So in front of thousands of his fans packed into this huge arena, a brave survivor sister stood up and called him out for it. And our guest today on the One Voice podcast is that very woman. We are so honored to welcome to the show, Nanine McCool. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for letting me be here and speak to y'all. It's, I consider it my privilege. Oh, well, it is such a privilege for us. Um, wow, Nanine, your courage has just been such a breath of fresh, just powerful, life-giving air, not only to the Me Too movement, but to survivors worldwide. Uh, Not only did you stand up and speak truth to power, but you also did a happy dance in front of thousands of people at a Tony Robbins conference. (laughs) Oh, see, anybody who said that I planned that in advance would know that is not true because who would do that silly dance? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. That was amazing and so brave. (laughs) Well, in the video that went viral uh we saw tony saying that some women are using this me too movement to gain significance by playing the victim and he said he wasn't knocking the me too movement he was knocking victimhood which is something i think nanine you would agree something that we as part of the me too movement as survivors understand that's the same thing as victim shaming absolutely yes yeah, and you said to Tony that he didn't seem to really understand what the Me Too movement was and, in fact, was doing a disservice to that Me Too movement. And that was so powerful. I felt like I was watching a David and Goliath moment when you stood up in that <laughs> arena of thousands and challenged this six foot seven giant in front of his biggest fans. And you were defending truth and you were defending us as survivors. And I just thought that was so powerful. And I wanted to hear from you, you know, what made you stand up in that moment? Um, honestly, and I've said this, but I, I don't remember making the decision to stand up. It was truly like an out of body experience because one minute I was sitting in my chair squirming at the way he was, what he was saying about me too. And, and I just thinking, you don't get it. You don't understand. And then I was on my feet yelling and there was sort of, I suddenly was aware you're standing up yelling at this man across because he was really far away from me. He was like way across the arena from me. Right. So I was yelling to get so that he could hear me. I wasn't yelling like, Oh, you, you know, angry. I was yelling because so he could hear me. And I, I don't remember standing up. So when people say that it was courageous to stand up, I have to tell y'all, there was no courage involved because I didn't think about it. I just did. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I get it. I remember. So I was sexually abused my whole childhood. My abuse started when I was about four mm. years old by my stepfather. And I finally found the courage to tell my mom when I was 14, which I told her. But mm. then I was so ashamed um, of it. And my stepfather ended up denying it and committing suicide. Uh, after we reported the abuse. And so for a full year after that, I didn't even tell my best friend the truth of why my stepdad had taken his life because I didn't want to be labeled a sexual abuse survivor. I was still shamed myself. Um, But a year later, I stood up and I don't even remember doing this, but I was at this camp, this summer camp, and I got up in front of the whole camp and I told my story for the first time. And people always ask me, what made you stand up and tell your story when you felt so much shame and you were still at the very beginning stages of your healing? And I'm like, I literally don't remember walking up to the microphone. So I felt like when um, I've heard you talk about you don't remember standing up, I totally get it. Isn't it like your spirit is in there and it's like, get up, damn it. And it just takes over for a minute and says, this is the moment. You need just all the shame and guilt and fear has to go. You got to stand up and speak truth. I do think, and all the women in that room who, who were fuming, and I didn't know it, but I just feel like somehow they found me, their energy found me, and it propelled me out of that chair. I believe it. I think you were chosen for that moment, Nanine. I really, really do. And honestly, the way that you've handled this platform that you've been given so quickly with such humility and such grace, but so strong, I just really believe that you're exactly right. You were supposed to do it. <laughs> and I'm so glad you did. I'm I'm so glad your body responded before your brain told you to stay seated. Yes, me too. I am. I'm very glad. And, uh, you know, it's been the, the whole process has been, you know, very complex for me personally, but the Me Too movement, um, for me, 
was also when it started, when women started speaking out, it was almost like I'd reached, I'd, in my life I'd gotten to a point where I was pretty insulated from sexual abuse and harassment um, and violence in where I live and what I do. But I was so moved and, and I don't know, what is it? What was that? I was just like, yes, when women started speaking out and it, it became so important to me. And uh, I, I've just gotten so much healing, I think, from listening to other women tell their stories. I think that's what it is. I just get so much healing from hearing these women have the courage to stand up and say, this happened to me and it matters. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think as we come together as one voice, that's when we find that we're all not alone, but we're also stronger together. Absolutely. And I do want to say, too, the healing takes place even if you don't speak. You know, for me, I never, I, when I stood up in Tony Robbins, there was no way I was talking about my personal business. And that. Mm. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> but, but that healing that had occurred through other people, I never felt the need to really speak out about it. It was just, it was, it was so healing to hear other women. And so I think that's also important mm-hmm. from the Me Too movement that there is no pressure on women that aren't ready to speak, but that they can be healed by our voices coming forward and saying, Me Too. Wow. I really agree with that. I, I can remember in the beginning stages of my healing where before I found my own voice, I would read other stories of survivors. And that really did bring me a lot of freedom and just knowing I wasn't alone and, and helped me to eventually find my voice. But even if I had, and I think you're right, Nanine, that there's so much healing that comes just through one another. Absolutely. I'm wondering, one of the biggest questions that I wanted to ask you was, what would you tell other survivors to do when they feel sort of the, the fire to stand up and speak out to the giants that might be in their life? You know, what would you tell other survivors who might have bosses like a Tony Robbins or family members like a Tony Robbins? You know, they're faced with someone, let's say, at a family family gathering or in the work environment who's maybe incredibly intimidating and speaking insensitively about sexual violence. And, you know, they're triggered. They want to speak truth to power, but, you know, they're unsure. What would you tell them to do? What I learned to do when I was in the workplace and, and I was in the military, so and surrounded, and I worked in a male-dominated area, mm. <clears throat> so I was surrounded by that all the time. And wow. I learned over time to simply say and interrupt men who were telling their horribly offensive jokes or speaking in ways that were so demeaning to women. I would just interrupt them and say, I don't care what you say when I'm not around, but don't speak this way in front of me, please, because I find it offensive. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can say that in a lot of different ways. And even and a lot of them would be think they were my friends. And I would just say, hey, hey, guys, I don't like this. So if you want to have this conversation, go somewhere else because I don't want to be exposed to it. Mm-hmm. I find it offensive. And in that way, I often found guys who would come to me and say, why is that offensive to you? And they would give me an opportunity to talk to them mm-hmm. and say, well, because, you know, and you don't have to share. Well, I was a victim. It's just because you you're you're. That's me you're talking about. You, other women, you're, you're grouping us all together and you're saying these horrible things and, you know, I don't like it. Or whatever your truth is, it gave me an opportunity to have a conversation. And the ones that were, like, wanted to call me names and make fun of me, I just knew, okay, that's, that's a guy that I don't need to be around. You know, I might have to work with him, but I don't, I'm not going to hang out with him. I'm not going to listen to him. I'm not going to value what he has to say because how could I? To me, it was the safest way because particularly if women work in a male-dominated area where that's the norm, she can become quite isolated if she might be afraid to speak up because she'll feel like, you know, no one will talk to her. But, and that may happen. There are no guarantees. But almost every time I spoke up, at least one of the guys I said it to would approach me later and say, hey, what was that about? Or, hey, I'm sorry. I didn't ever think of that, you know, that you might be offensive or, you know, there was a discussion. And that's what you're really propelling right now is that discussion. And I think you know, empowering all of the survivors that are listening to you today and to our podcast even, is just inspiring them to keep that conversation going. It's going to take, you know, Nanine's everywhere to keep this going. Well, we can all be in Nanine. I mean, I think we're, I am all of you and, and you're all me because yes. we share this. We share this pain. And I said to someone the other day, you know, the, the way it blossoms in us, the way it grows in us, this pain is different for each of us, but where it's rooted is the same. Mm. You know, the, the wound is in the same place. That's right. So we share that. 
And so we can all learn from each other. And, you know, the things I'm good at, there are other things I'm really bad at. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I can learn from the people who are good at things that I'm not good at and how they've overcome them in their life as survivors. Mm. And I find great power in that and strength. And beauty. I think it's a beautiful thing, this healing journey and the survivor sisterhood that we have. Did you ever imagine in your wildest dreams that you would be on this train of being contacted by news stations all over the country and people reaching out? And I mean, it just happened so quickly. Yeah. What yesterday you were on the Today Show, Good Morning America, all these, right? Oh, it's, it's crazy. Oh, my goodness. And here's the thing. This is so bizarre. You, you guys, everybody should have this experience for whatever reason, because it just is so surreal. Yeah. So the I didn't know that Butterscotch, who deserves a lot of credit for having the courage, not only the wherewithal to film that video, nobody else did. 10,000 people, everybody had phones, nobody filmed it but her. Mm. And she posted that video like the Tuesday night after, like a week later, almost a week later Mm -hmm. after it happened. And so there was a little bit of media buzz around it right after. And And then now this picked it up. Mm-hmm. And but the the media buzz before I was like, well, this is a lot. That's how my husband. Oh, like I'm getting overwhelmed with all these Facebook things and whatever. And then now this picked it up, and it was impossible. <laughs> I was just like, I just quit trying. It's like I can't, I can't, I can't do this. And I was just like, I have, I had a radio. I would love to have responded to them, but I just saw one. It was a radio station in Ireland who wanted me to talk. Wow, wow. I was like, wow, oh, that's <laughs> so cool. But it just was impossible. It was just so much. I mean, obviously, a lot of women are looking at you like, girl, you're our, you're our woman that yes. has, you know, the ear of millions and millions of people. Mm-hmm. Do you feel a lot of pressure with that? Let me just be clear that I have an ego and it's like, oh, man, you're all that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, you know, yeah, I hear your ego, but shut up because mm-hmm. that goes nowhere. Right. That stuff goes is hollow and pointless. And my, you know, to me, I'm so grateful for being able to be part of something that I care so much about and to have a platform and a voice. I think, you know, we all want to be heard. And to me, it's like, I, I'm just lucky. And I want to make sure that I give voice to all the women who are affected by abuse and sexual assault and even harassment in the workplace. And mm-hmm. no, cause it's, it's so much more satisfying that it's not about me, that it is about all of us that has so much more power for me. Mm. So you know, I just want to make sure that I, what I have lots of people, you know, offering things and I haven't even sorted through them all, but I just want to make sure whatever I do it, it, I use this as long as I have it to make, you know, it to, for something that matters yeah. for more than just me. Yeah. I was talking to someone today and they're like, well, you won't make any money doing that. I was like, yeah, I know. I've never been motivated by money. It's kind of a problem. Aww. <laughs> no way. What a gift that is. Yeah, really. Yeah, well, you know, tell my husband it's a gift because he's like, really? No, he he's totally supportive and he laughs at me because it's like, I'm so sorry. I, I can't I can't take this offer because it's really just about money. And he's like, he laughs. Well, who would you be if you took an offer that's about money? <laughs> Well, I think even more of a reason for someone like you to be in the spotlight in doing this because you have the heart and the true passion yeah. for it. And there's not, um, you know, the fake material stuff getting in the way. So I applaud that and respect that so much. Yeah. Pure and genuine. Like I said, you know, money's great and all because you don't worry about bills, but it's all it is. It doesn't fulfill the real need in us. I'm really aware of that. And I just, I just feel so privileged and I just, I just want to do right by everyone. Yeah. You know, I don't want to, mm. I don't ever want to get caught over into the, and I kind of feel like that's what happened to Tony Robbins. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he was, he was young when he started being successful and he immediately got surrounded by all these people who wanted to use his success, you know, for their own ends. And mm-hmm. he got, I think at his core, he's a very compassionate person but he's been on the douche train for way too long. <laughs> right. Well, and it made me think about how his comments about, he was telling this story about, you know, a very famous, very powerful man who didn't hire a qualified woman for a job because she was attractive and he knew she was too big of a risk to have around. And he said, I've had a dozen men tell me this. And I was thinking, you know, well, of course he's implying that the Me Too movement is actually hurting women rather than helping them. And then it's such a misogynistic comment to make. But then I'm thinking what you're saying is so true. You know, over time, now he's surrounded by so many wealthy, powerful men. 
And this, yeah. these are the narratives he's hearing more than the victim's narratives. He's protecting the yeah. accused over the accusers in that interaction with you and with the audience members. And I felt like I was so glad that you were standing before him in that moment to not back down, but to say, no, this is a problem. <laughs> Here's what's kind of funny to me about that. So when I stood up initially to say, you got it wrong, um, I really do. I think I thought well of Tony Robbins. I thought, you know, mm-hmm. he's a good, kind man. And mm-hmm. I don't know if he has, you know, I don't know if I agree with every message, but at his core, I saw him as a good person. Mm-hmm. So that's how I approached him. And uh, and so when he started doing the pushing back exercise, which, by the way, he triggered me like the minute he stepped up to me, I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> I was triggered watching and, um, it. Oh, I know. I'm so surprised by that. But, yeah, it, yep. I was I was like, it was so crazy what was going on inside my head while while he was doing that. And um, But I'm thinking, okay, this is Tony Robbins. My rational brain is like, okay. And I think like a lot of you survivors, I'm really good at compartmentalizing when I have to. Mm-hmm. And um, he's pushing me, and it's really uncomfortable. And But I'm thinking, okay, it's Tony Robbins. He's he's going to turn this around. He's going to show me why this is this – is, there's an empowering lesson in here. He's going to teach me how women can – can claim their power hmm. in these very difficult me too times. Yeah. You know, so where, in that moment, in your head, and, you're actually giving him the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. And then he started with that, that story about his friend who mm-hmm. couldn't hire the attractive woman. And there was so much wrong with it. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, no, 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 no. This is wrong. This is all wrong. And then, and it was in that moment that I realized he really doesn't get it. And not only that, he is, the reason why we need a Me Too movement. He is part of the problem. Yes. And he doesn't know it. No. no. He generally doesn't know it. He no. doesn't get it. Doesn't see it. It's, he can't see the forest for the trees. That was so bizarre to me, though, because up until that moment, I was still like, I was rooting, I was like, Tony's got it. He's going to show me. I'm going to learn. Obviously, he has released a written apology. And I know you were talking about that yesterday with Megan Kelly. Um, has he reached out to you personally? Not that I'm aware of, but honestly, you know, I, I still have a gazillion million messages that I mm. haven't gone through, but mm. I would think that if they want to get hold of me directly, they would know how, like right. I, 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 people have got my phone number. I don't know from who mm-hmm. <laughs> somebody's probably selling it. And oh, so I get calls from, no, no, it's okay. I mean, I'm just saying, mm-hmm. I think that with his team, that if they, they have my email, they have my work email. So. I'm not sure that I'm ready for his apology either. I might feel like mm-hmm. I need to publicly accept it. And, and and if I didn't, you know, how that would just make change the conversation to something that I really think right now it's conversations where it needs to be. I, I think he needs to take his time and decide if he really wants to apologize. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but once again, I think that we all owe him a huge debt of gratitude for being willing to say what he said. Yeah. Because then there would be no discussion. Yep. I think one of the most powerful parts of that conversation you had with him on that video was talking about anger and Mm. you know shame he was saying that anger is hurting the me too movement not empowering yeah basically shaming victims of sexual abuse for finding their voice for calling abusers to justice you know, I've written in my books, I talk on stages all the time about how righteous anger is what we should have. The the Me Too movement isn't exactly. about hurting people. Right. It's about helping people. It's about helping victims and helping perpetrators. You know, we have to put an end to sexual violence on both ends. And right. I think not only are we entitled to anger, but we have to use anger as a healing tool. You know, I had to be angry at what happened to me in order to place the blame where it belonged, because for years I thought it was my fault. I was blaming myself. So I needed that anger to shift the truth for me that, you know, that no one deserves abuse or rape. Um, And and then understanding that that victim inside of us is actually our teacher. You know, the little Nicole or the little Mary or the little Nanine, she figured out how to survive and. She is, in fact, our teacher now in our adulthood on getting our own power back. So I'm wondering, oh, you know, <laughs> what, <laughs> what you're thinking about when it comes to that anger in your own story. And I know you haven't shared much about it, but um, I, I do know that you are a survivor. And I'm certain that that victim in, within you needed anger to find healing. 
You know, it's really interesting about this. Y'all saw the piece on Maggie Kelly yesterday? Yes. And um, and she was wonderful, by the way. She was so mm-hmm. kind to me. I was so nervous. And she walked up before the piece and, you know, and talked to me. And she she was just very encouraging and kind and complimentary. And then afterwards, she was very nice. And, Good. And, and then, but in one, she was talking. And this was, oh, God, I wish we'd had more time. But when she was talking at the end, she said, I like, I don't like to call myself a victim. I like saying I'm a target. And I just, mm. I just wanted to say full stop. <laughs> yes. <laughs> full right. Full stop. Yep. And, and, and here's the problem. What she evidenced right there is how much we have come to the point where we actually are, we're the shame that's associated with victim to the victim, mm-hmm. not to the perpetrator, mm. but to the person who has been victimized. They're not allowed to claim they're, that they're a victim. Oh, you're just being a victim. Hello, <laughs> you don't just be a victim. Somebody did something to me. They hurt me. Right. They didn't just, you know. Somebody they, made they, you they a victim. Wounded me. Yeah, made me a victim and wounded me. And and you think I'm supposed to like just say I'm not a victim? I am a victim. And what you said about your victim teaching you and healing you, that honestly has only been something I've addressed in the last year or so. Mm. And it was so impact because I got so angry. You, you, you got it. Mm-hmm. I was so angry about what happened with my license. I was so angry that I swallowed all that anger and would not express it because it made to me it made it made them win. If they made me angry, they won. And then went through this really dark period. And at some point, I was so angry at what was going, what was happening to my life. And I was like, mm-hmm. you know, that victim inside of me said you know, you can live in this cave because you had to do that when you were little, but you're not little anymore. Mm. You can come out and you can bring us out and you can start living your life again. And, and that was, but I was so angry. I I wrote a piece in October and you can hear the rage in what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And, and that was just because I finally started honoring the victim in me mm. who got me to survive. And if I could survive that, well, how can we survive this? You know, <laughs> Yeah. This is nothing compared to that. Yeah, you're like, bring it, Tony. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, bring it. <laughs> bring it life, you know? Yeah. So, no, I totally, and I I really want to start a discussion about how this whole thing, don't call yourself a victim, call yourself a survivor. Yes, you're a survivor, but you honor that victim. Mm. And that's, you know, there, yep. there's, there's the fact that you're a victim is not shameful. It's a tragedy. The shame belongs with the perpetrator. That's so good. And let's get that right. No, you got it. You said it right there. That all that stuff you said before me. That that's Mm -hmm. absolutely nailed it. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. That conversation. We need to get that conversation going because for people like Megan Kelly, who I have mad respect for because of the way she handled herself on during the debate, Mm -hmm. and then the Roger Ailes thing. Mm -hmm. You know. That's a strong woman. Yeah. You know, whatever you think about her position, you know, and the things that she stands for at different points in time, she's a powerful woman. And I so respect how she stood up and she doesn't want to call herself a victim. What does that tell you about the level of shame that's Mm. gotten associated with that word and how that translates to people who are victims? Mm. Mind blowing. It is, especially to people with that status. I mean, fully educated in the spotlight and still struggling with the language when it comes to sexual assault. Yeah. And, and I get that thrown at me all the time. And the Tony Robbins fans who love and adore him and I don't have a problem with that. I'm not saying they shouldn't, but they share his perspective. Don't be a victim. We don't have a problem with me too. It's just the victimology. What the hell is victimology? (laughs) What is that? Right. (laughs) I know because you're exactly right. I mean, it's one thing, the the only part I understand is where they're upset about anyone who's gone through abuse out to destroy someone else's life. But if all you have to do is look at and say, that person destroyed this little kid's life. They're not trying to destroy the yeah, other person's life. They're trying to get their life back. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a, a victim who finds their anger and channels that into reclaiming their life by pointing out their accuser. That's not victimology. That's empowerment. It's holding somebody accountable. Right. That that is, that is, and if you're talking about people who, who 
are caught in that sense of I have no power and I and I'm afraid to reclaim my power. Well, they they're entitled to that to mm. shame them for that. Right. Well, someone took their power from them mm. and did this horrible thing to them. Mm-hmm. And if they never come out of that, well, then honor them. They're paying the price for that by the life that they live, but it's the life they choose. And we can all support them and nurture them and encourage them to, to find what joy they can. I'm so sick of saying, hearing people say, oh, well, you know, you, you can't live a victim because you can't live your whole life. Well, that may be true. Like I didn't reclaim my power for a long time because I didn't know I could. And I think I was afraid to, I was afraid somebody was going to tell me, slap my hand away and say, you can't have that. That's not yours. You, mm-hmm. you, that doesn't belong to you. And, and, and when I did learn to say, I've had enough of that, I'm going to claim my power, my life got a lot better. So mm-hmm. I absolutely think everyone should have that opportunity, but we can't shame people who aren't ready to do it yet mm-hmm. because we all know what it's like to feel like you're not entitled to have your own life. You're not mm-hmm. entitled to control your own fate mm-hmm. You control your body, what happens to your body. So we need to stop shaming people because they're not, they, they got taught that, they've learned it, and now they're afraid to step out of that because... It's devastating. Right. And then the entire message I feel like he was trying to convey was don't speak up. Don't push back. It's not going to make you safe, which was angering for me and had to be triggering for you. Honestly, as I'm watching him pushing you backwards through that arena, it was triggering for me just watching it. How did you power through that? And were you triggered? (laughs) I mean, I can't imagine you wouldn't be. Well, here's interesting. What's not on the video is when I stood up and yelled and and Ooh, I, I had that. almost, I was just beginning to sit down. And I mean, I had just started to, to, to look to my chair so I could sit down because I was in the middle of a row. And he whirled around. He has earpiece, and someone must have told him I was speaking. And he whirled around and he said something to the crowd like, oh, yes, let's have this discussion. Or, I, you know, I've been waiting to have this discussion. Okay. And that got my radar up and then the way he strode towards me it was like holy cow I think he's mad so from the very beginning you were feeling that that trigger yeah but there's that that's that part of me that's like but this is Tony Robbins that's what he does so I wasn't triggered yet I was just on high alert I was like okay (laughs) so then when he called me out into the aisle and he stepped up in front of me so I'm five foot eight I'm not a small woman Five foot eight, 170 pounds. I'm I'm not used to being towered over, but I am used to tall men because all the men in my family are tall. He stepped up to me. I had to cock my head to look at him. He was that close, and he was glaring at me, and that's mm. when I triggered. It was like, like, and you know how weird that is. Like all of a sudden, your reality shifts, and it's oh, like, man. you know, it for me. This like emotionally, I'm back in a and that trauma, you know, like, okay, here it comes. Here comes the beating. Right. (laughs) And so there's this whole sense of emotional, like run, 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 or fight, fight, fight. And my rational brain's going, okay, you're fine. You're okay. It's Mm. it's okay. Don't listen. But you know, I'm, I'm doing that whole thing in my head, but it's taking all my focus. Like don't freak out. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) And then he started pushing. And let me tell you the minute his knuckles touched mine, and he was pushing, that almost was more triggering than anything else because it was immediately, abundantly clear to me that he could kill me. Wow. Because oh. he's so strong. Totally. He is so strong. And and that, my brain was like, okay, he's not going to kill you because there's 10,000 people standing here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Watching. But my emotional, <laughs> yes. so I'm safe. But emotionally, you know, my nervous system was like, oh, yeah. That, out of there, run, get away. And it was so bizarre, <laughs> all this stuff. And of course, what do you do when you're triggered? You're trying to make yourself seem non-threatening. You're trying to ingratiate yourself so that they don't want to hurt you. All of that was going on. And yeah. I can see it when I watch the video. It makes me cringe. <laughs> oh, I could see it too, because I could see you were almost trying to make a joke out of it. You're sort of doing the same exact thing yeah. I would have done in a situation, laughing, mm-hmm. you know, like trying to make light of it. Yes, yes, you laugh because it's like, ha, 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 yes, yes, yes. You're not saying the most retarded thing I've ever heard in my life. I'm sorry, the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. This is, this is, 
this is okay. You're good. I like you. You're good. Yeah. Kill me. Right. So in that moment, I'm sure the women around you were ready to pounce on his back. Were they saying anything or whispering <laughs> anything to you when it was happening? Oh, uh, well, here's the thing. So I don't, you know, I was like, I was triggered. So my, all my energy was going into stay in this moment. Don't yeah. freak out. Stay in the moment. And, um, but the, the, what, the one thing I do remember was when I, the first time I stood up and said, I think you're mischaracterizing me to move it. And all those women cheered. And it was like, oh, yes, I'm not alone. There are women in this audience and they get it. Yes. <laughs> Thank goodness. Because you stood up not knowing if you would have, if anyone had your back. Like you were one against the world. Yeah. And it really felt like that until that cheer. And then uh, he did all the, do you hear me? And people laughed, cheering and clapping for him. Oh, and that was really like, okay, right. you you know, you've just made a spectacle of yourself in this room for people who love Tony Robbins. So mm-hmm. don't expect, you know, that to go any differently. Yeah. So I didn't, rem- I didn't, I don't remember any other cheers other than that first one. Cause after that, he triggered me. So mm-hmm. it was like, you know, all yeah. my focus was on not tripping out, just maintaining in the present moment. Yeah. Right. Rather than the moment that I was reliving. So I, but the women after that too, there was a woman I told this somewhere, I don't know if y'all heard this, but it is so powerful to me. So I just want to keep my reaching out to that woman. Um, because after it was over and I went and sat down, I felt so, I was just struggling and I felt Mm. so ridiculous and I'd made a fool of myself and you know, what was I thinking? Yeah, sure. And, uh, I was sitting there, but I had the, you know, you have your face on the I'm fine face, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, behind your face. You're like, and I was struggling to say, I was thinking, how can I get out of here without anybody noticing that I'm leaving? Cause this is awful. Mm-hmm. And this woman reached over and she tapped me on the back and she was in tears. Aww. And she said, can I curse? <laughs> you can. She said, thank you so much for doing that. You fucking rock. <laughs> She you said, do. I will never forget you. I lost my career over this fucking shit. Thank you so much. Wow. And she whirled around and walked off. Woo! And I couldn't even reach her. Mm. And I couldn't get her. And it was like, oh, thank God that there's someone in here who gets this. And she was so powerful for me that I stayed. You know, I was just like, I'm going to stay. I'm going to be fine. And then women throughout the rest of the three or eight days or four days that I was there, and some men, mm-hmm. um, reached out to me and, you know, they would hug me. They would stop me when I was walking to and from, or they would find me in the aisles and hug me and say, thank you so much. You continued on with that conference. You didn't leave and go home. You kept going. I did not. I stayed. Man. Yeah, I just, here's the thing. I, I, even after it, you know, I was like, okay, this is not what I came for. This is, this is, I came here to figure out my life and figure out what's next, you know, and, I'm going to, I'm going to get through this. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to let all, cause I was still emotionally struggling with all this, you know, you just get triggered and it's like, shit. Totally. Gosh, you want to shut down and run and hide in your bedroom. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So, but I was like, no, I'm not going to get into it. I'll deal with that later. Like I, I know I have to look at it and I have to deal with it. Cause I'm, I'm surprised that it happened, mm. but right now I'm here for this. I pay for this. I'm not leaving. Right. right. And, uh, and I'm glad I didn't because I met so many great women there. Mm. I did. They were just incredibly powerful. One, well, just women. I met great women there. <laughs> I met. And some men, too. I met some great guys, too. Some, some men that, uh, one in particular, the second day, he found me at a break. He says, I've been looking at every aisle for you. My girlfriend wants oh. to talk to you. We wow. think you're so awesome. Yeah. I've been a rant, ta- a Tony Robbins fan for years, and I'm so disappointed in what he said. <laughs> and he left and did not come back after he found me. He gave me his information and said, please call me wow. and my girlfriend if you want to talk. And, and yeah. I did. I, I met up with him and his girlfriend, and she's an amazing woman. And yeah. it just is all these opportunities to meet amazing people. Well, that's what happens when we actually do find our voice because there's so many out there who are looking for us. You know, the ones who are brave yes. enough to speak up and, and say no to this kind of culture. And I love what the woman behind you said. I just think, you know, I know. He Tony hates that. That's what he hates about the Me Too movement. But that is what our empowerment is. That anger. It's righteous yes, anger. Absolutely. And, and we have to have it to continue this conversation. 
Otherwise, we're just perpetuating the problem. Yeah, you know, and I know that when I was talking to Tony Robbins, I was able to, to see, continue to see him as someone. I can't explain why I continue to see him as someone who, at his core, is capable of being the kind of man that the Me Too movement needs him to be. Mm. I think he's got a long way to go. But I do think at his core, he has that compassion and that ability and that desire at some level. And I'm able to continue to talk about him from that place. But there are times when we need our anger to talk to people. I, you know, and that's one of the things I want to be careful of. The fact that I'm able to continue to talk about Tony Robbins from a place of, yeah, I don't like what he said, but I'm not excoriating this man. That doesn't mean there aren't times when we need to do that. I, I see the power in rage, um, you know, as long as it's not directed at destruction. If it's directed at enlightenment and po- empowerment and exposing the truth, then we need it and we should continue to use it. Well, I think when he ask those questions of, do you want significance to a problem or to growth? I think it's clear to those of us. What's that? What does that significance word mean? The Tony Robbins fans don't know what it means because they constantly (laughs) use it to me in different ways. Like they use it to shame me or try to shame me. I don't get it. I don't get why it's negative. He means it to be such a bad thing, but I'm like, don't we all want significance? I'm not trying to get it through my abuse or for... Because I'm calling out the person who hurt me. But I mean, I don't. It's just, to me, Me Too is growth. (laughs) It's not a problem. It's growth. It's not hurting anyone. It's calling people to justice. Oh, it is, though. It's a problem for those men who who have used their power to get to, to, to make themselves feel whatever they get from overpowering women and and having you know their own sexual needs met absolutely it's hurting their culture and what Mm. they are comfortable with but i think it's growth in the right direction and good right so for the people who say well this this me too movement is causing you know men to be fearful and hiding under their desks in the workplace i say good for them yeah (laughs) i'm saying time's up welcome to our world Yeah. Welcome to, you know, what women experience every day in the workplace. You know, there was another woman I met. I was at the airport. I don't know if you have time for this. I hate to ramble. Hey, we have time. I I guess I feel a connection to y'all that I don't normally feel with all the other reporters. Oh, good. Wow, that's really special. Thank you. No, I mean, y'all are, because y'all get it. (laughs) But I I met a woman at the airport, and I'm actually going to call her. And we got to chatting about, you know, where I was going and why. And I realized sometimes you have to read between the lines, because at first I wasn't sure what she was trying to tell me, but it became really obvious to me that what she was trying to tell me was, yeah, I'm not not crazy about the Me Too movement, because, you know, even as I speak up, nobody's going to believe me, because it always happens when nobody's looking. And that's so true. That is so, it, it is so much a part of what we we have to address is this fact that, you know, oh, well, they're trying to destroy people's lives. They speak. How many women have spoken up and not named their abusers? <laughs> right. And, but women are also stuck in that place where the rhetoric is, well, people are trying to destroy other people's lives. And they're thinking, if I speak up, people are going to accuse me of that. And I can't prove it because nobody saw it. Mm. And we really need to address that, that, that hidden thing. Mm-hmm. Because the point is, is for me, me too, it's not my role to decide who's innocent and who's guilty. All I have to tell a woman is, I believe you because I know I've, I've been through that. Exactly. I believe what you're saying because I, I, it's, it's so normal every day in, what, in my experience to have yes. to go through stuff like that. Yeah. I believe that happened to you. Mm-hmm. I don't have to make a dis- I don't have to fire someone. I don't have to. The people who are responsible for controlling someone's fate when those allegations come up, they have to do their due diligence and they have to do what they have to do. But we can all support the, the people who speak out and say we believe you because we've had similar experiences. Right. We don't have to get into the sh- what happens to their perpetrator. That's not mm-hmm. our role. No, no. And I always say, you know, if someone comes to you with their story and they disclose for the first time, I mean, the most important thing that person needs to hear is, I believe you. It wasn't your fault. And I don't I don't care about all the details. You know, this person might be telling me a story. It sounds crazy. And I might be wondering even, well, I wonder if it happened that way. I don't know. It doesn't matter. I believe that it happened to you. And that is how you saw your abuse. And I'm going to tell you that I believe you. That is so true. I just love that. I believe you, and that is how you perceived it and remember it, and that's how you're telling your story even to yourself. Yeah. If that's the way you need to tell it to yourself, that's that's okay. That's exactly. good. 
Exactly. The rest of it gets itself worked out. Yeah. Yeah. But we don't, you know, if it's the justice system that's involved, there are criminal allegations made or charges brought. Well, that's for the justice system. We all have our jobs. Yeah. Well, yeah. But for, for, for me, the Me Too movement has always been about women saying, I, that sounds, you know, I believe you because I had a similar experience Mm -hmm. and, you know, and that's the power of it is uh, being supported when you speak out. It's like the biggest support group ever. I love it. Yes, it is. It really is. You know, I've said for years, you know, I'll step off a stage and there'll be some college student will walk up to me and just squeeze my hand and just look at me in the eye and say, Nicole, me too. And then they walk off into the darkness and the, to their class. And I have always said this for years and years before the Me Too movement ever started. I said, there's so much power in that moment when that survivor said Me Too. That's when her healing began. She was able to identify herself. I don't know her story. I don't know who abused her. I don't know how old she was, where she was. I don't know anything about it. I just know that she has been there and she knows for the first time she's not alone and she was able to vocalize that and that you're exactly right it's the biggest support group ever and even if that was her only moment of ever saying anything man the power that was in that she will never forget it and i won't either she will never no she will never forget it and 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 even if it's the only time she does that that little bit of healing is is healing is valuable it matters mm-hmm. it counts it makes your life better you know i still clearly have lots of work to do because i I thought I was like beyond it, but clearly not. So, you know, how much better will my life be when I go through this visual process of working on my own stuff again? Sure. I don't know, but I have to be willing to go through the misery and I know my life will be better. Exactly. So whatever little healing we do, it, that's good for us. It's worth it's, it. Yeah. yeah. I think healing is a lifelong journey, Nanine. And, um, you know, there's, there's hills and valleys, there's sprints and there's crawls and, you know, this is a huge moment in your healing journey um, where your voice is just ringing around the world in such a positive way. And we are also very proud of you. Um, but mm-hmm. as, you know, survivors ourselves, Mary and I, and just being also well-known voices on this topic, I just want you to know, like, we really care about your healing from here forward, too. And um we just know that there's going to be things that pop up. And I'm so glad that, you know, you even said that you're willing to kind of revisit some of those those hard places and to take care of yourself. And that's really important. And you've been on my heart so heavily ever since I first heard about you. Just um, just praying for you, honestly, and just your mm. your own heart and, you know, your healing from here forward. I, I'm hoping that you have something set in place for your own self-care. I know. Um you know, having a platform yeah. makes you in some ways vulnerable and you've got to really take care of yourself. And are, are you doing any of that? Well, I honestly, the day after I got home from Tony Robbins, I had a complete, like I got home late on Tuesday night after this, it ended on Sunday because I went and saw friends. And so when I got home late Tuesday night, I was exhausted. I woke up the next morning and just completely fell apart. Like mm. total meltdown. Mm-hmm. And then I knew that I had to uh, set something up. So I made an appointment, which I had to cancel. And now I it's, it's I had to reschedule it. But yes, mm-hmm. I know I, I have to do the work. And as much as, um, you know, you know how it gets. You, you, you get into a safe, comfortable place. And it's like, oh, that work is so painful. And, and I, and I, but I know that I need to do it because I never, I never want to be triggered like that again. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. It was just, it was, and I still, you know, I'm still to some degree that the media and everything has allowed me to be distracted from it. And I, I know that I'm doing that, that I'm yeah. using all this external stuff to distract me from the inner turmoil. Mm. But, you know, it's still there. I have my little cries in the middle of the day sure. sometimes where it's like, okay, I need to vent some of this craziness. But yeah, mm. and it is important you know, I, I, the, the work people, it's hard to find good therapists mm-hmm. and I know that's an issue, but it's also very hard to sometimes just make yourself go through it. And I, mm. I just want everybody to know that, you know, if you can find that strength and find the right therapist, mm-hmm. 
it, you know, it's never too late to go. I thought I was, I'm 55, and I thought I was done with all that. So, <laughs> yeah, no. right. <laughs> yep, and then something like this happens, and it comes right back up. And I think it's good for you just to be aware. I mean, there's always going to be triggers. You're, you know, I, I know you I'll say, I don't. Nope, no, no, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> yeah, you, that you don't want to be triggered like that again. You know, they're going to be there, but. I think you're going to just be stronger every day. And the more you take care of yourself and, and give the victim within you the attention she deserves, um, the triggers aren't going to be as bad. Yeah, I am so much better about honoring my internal vision. And, you know, my therapist years ago, I had an excellent therapist years ago, and she tried to get me to do it, and I didn't know what she was talking about, and I wasn't willing to do it. And I think it's important, too, is that we have to get, you know, we have to go through this in our own way and find our own way through it. Um, but it's funny how all those things she used to say to me years ago has just con- had come back to me like last year when I started finally understanding what she meant. And so, and I, it is important to honor. It has, I think to some degree when I started honoring that victim in me, that is what has propelled me to this and giving me the courage and the strength. Because it used to be somebody would accuse me of victim and I would all automatically say, I'm not a victim, I'm a survivor. Mm-hmm. And so... Yeah. In that stage, in front of Tony Robbins, when I was able to stand in front of him and he was doing all that victim shaming, I was very secure in my place of, well, yeah, I'm proud of being a victim. You can say that all day long. It's not going to bother me at all. You just yeah. don't understand. And yeah. I'm going to help you understand. Um, so it is, that was, it was a tremendous growth for me to, was to honor the victim in me and stop being ashamed of her and me. I think it's helped me look at it in a very similar way even just your experience has really made me visit that in my own mind of honoring the victim who learned how to survive before she could have been called a survivor. You know, the tools that she was able to gather. Um, it's a, it's a really interesting way to look at it. Yeah. She kept me alive. She got me through it and she learned how to, to look and to smile and to, and to weave and dance and, uh, and preserve the, the parts of me that would get, you know, allow me to be the grown up, and and I I I honor my victim now all the time. Mm-hmm. Amazing little part of me that I'm grateful for. That includes. I just want to say this, and maybe yeah. it's important. It includes all the things I did during my sexual abuse that still make me cringe. Mm-hmm. But those are the things that I had to do to get through it. Because who knows what would have happened had I tried to fight back? That's exactly right. All those unhealthy coping mechanisms, they worked for you. They got you to today. They worked. Yep. They got me to today. Yep. So that's what I mean when I say honor the victim. All the things she did, all the things I did as a child to, with this man who was not part of my family, who was a, who was a babysitter, mm. and and all the ways that I engaged with him when, when I had no other choice and those all those things that I used to be so ashamed of because what he told me, right? It was my fault. I was the one that wanted his attention. I was the one that made him do it. He couldn't mm-hmm. help himself because it was me because I was so adorable. Whatever, all that bullshit yeah. they put in your head. Mm. And but it's so you're so young, right? Exactly. And, and it it becomes you, you don't have any defense against that. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I used to hate that part of me. I was so ashamed of it. Why didn't he fight back? Why didn't he bite him? Why didn't he do this? And yeah. now I'm like, oh, thank God. <laughs> smart little creature you you're so amazing right oh that's a beautiful thing we have those little warriors inside of us i just think of those little girls you know just flexing those muscles (laughs) mine were bigger than yours yeah victim warriors that's what we are we're warriors totally well, I just think mm-hmm. you're amazing, Nanine, and I hope that the world will know your name more than Tony Robbins after um, <laughs> this week. And your voice is so needed, and I want you to know I think you were at the right place at the right time. You were the right person. Please tell me as we go forward how I can help raise your voices and raise the voices of all all victims of domestic violence and sexual abuse and because that's what I want that's what I've always wanted that's why I lost my license Mm. so that's what I want to do and so if we can somehow collaborate or I can do something I I want to do it please I am all about that and I would love to continue to talk to you about that Nanine and I definitely have ideas and I was hoping you might be 
open to that. So um, I'll definitely be contacting you about, about that. Definitely. And I know that you have such a heart to give. I, I saw, um, was it just yesterday on Facebook, you rescued an injured pigeon after landing at the airport? <laughs> Stop it. Yes, it's what? <laughs> you just keep getting cooler and cooler and cooler. Like, what in the world? That's why her last name is McCool. Well, let me elevate my coolness here. So here's this bird. And I was hit by a car when I was like, talk about PTSD. I was hit by a car when I was like 13. And so I have serious issues around traffic, even oh today. Goodness. So here's this little baby bird running out in traffic in front of the airport. And I'm like running out there chasing it. And I'm like jumping in front of taxis like, stop. <laughs> and finally, I, I have this jacket that my husband bought for me. It's a really expensive, nice jacket, you know. And I take off this $150 jacket and throw it over this bird, oh. wrap him up in it. And and then, you know, my friend came and got me from the airport, and she's another sucker for – but she's nursed baby birds before. Oh. So she took it home. Again, a divine appointment. She took it home wrapped up in my $100 jacket, and that's, it's now a bird's nest. <laughs> okay. The cover for your book is the little baby bird <laughs> in your coat is a nest, and you're just there smiling beside it like – some jungle safari director, like I don't know. She's a shero of humans and birds. Yeah, zookeeper. Goodness, wow. And that was like the high point of my day because the whole day has been, yeah, it's been exciting and thrilling and wonderful. But it, it, you know, it, it was just. But saving that bird was like, yes, I did something really meaningful today. Oh yeah, you were on the Today Show. I think that's <laughs> kind of cool. Bird. Amazing. Yeah. Well, that just shows your heart and you're just so fun. And I love this conversation. And it means so much that you gave us the time and just your vulnerability to share all of these things. So we'll definitely keep in touch, Nanine. Okay. I'm really excited, honestly, yeah, to collaborate our voices. I think it could be very, very powerful I am too. Um, in this world. I so. am too. I do too. I'm glad you found me. I'm glad you reached out. Good. Me too. All right. Well, take care, Nanine. Have a wonderful day. And take care of yourself, yes, okay? go rest. Thanks, Mary. Thank yeah, you. I got to go to work. I got a job. Yeah, that's true. Oh. Dang it. <laughs> oh, life. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> All right, you guys. I love this. Bye. Next podcast, Nicole will reconnect with Carlene Goodridge, another survivor of child sexual abuse who Nicole met in New York City on the set of the Montel Williams show, where they were both guests in 2007. Carlene's story went viral when her younger sister castrated and killed their father, who was their abuser. Carlene went public with her story to get help for her sister. And we're so excited to catch up with Carlene and hear about what the healing journey has looked like for the past 10 years. Don't forget to subscribe. Be sure to write a review if there's something that really connected with you today. And be sure to share the One Voice podcast with others so we can be on this healing journey together.